Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. with our discussion of the coronavirus. Right now, we have Dr. Peter Catone, an infectious disease doctor and professor of medicine and public health at UCLA. Welcome, Dr. Katona. Glad to be here. So, right off the bat, how did this happen? It's a very broad question. A lot of things have happened at the same time. I mean, everything started in one particular area in the city of Wuhan, probably around November sometime of last year. So if it started in November, what was, I mean, we all know the basic progression. It started in Wuhan, and then it continued and continued to bring us here today. Now, is this a -a once-in-a-lifetime situation, or do you think this is the new normal? Hard to say. Viruses spread and can cause great harm because of two things. One is the lethality and the other is the contagiousness. And every virus, every flu strain has one of those two things to some degree. Can you give us some historical context? I mean, how does this compare to other pandemics in the the past? Spanish flu, swine flu, bird flu, or even something like polio or smallpox? The impact of an epidemic or a pandemic is contingent on how transmissible that agent is and how lethal it is. Sometimes some agents are a little lethal, sometimes they're very transmissible, and everything in between. What happens is once in a while you get a combination of both of those things being very, very bad, as we have here. Now, this happens to some degree every 20 or 30 years, but it happens to a major degree century-wise. A hundred or so years ago, we had the Spanish flu, which is analogous, caused about 50 million deaths worldwide. Do you think with the Spanish flu, obviously it was a hundred years ago, we didn't have, obviously, the same medical capabilities as we have now, or just do you think we're going to be looking at almost a similar percentage of people dying? Hard to know. I mean, every era is different. There are different things that happen. We don't have any therapeutics or vaccine for this yet. We probably will within the next year or so, hopefully. But uh, the same basic epidemiological things were done or not done properly at that time, and it's the same thing here. The social distancing was clearly shown to be helpful 100 years ago. If we do it right, it probably will be helpful this time as well. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. That's right, to some degree, although I'm not discounting the fact that we may come up with a very good therapeutic agent and we may come up with a very good vaccine, but those aren't here yet while the outbreak is really going up in very large numbers. How quickly do we come up with a vaccine? How long do you think it really takes to have a solid, cure is the wrong word, but uh, agent to fight this with? 
The development of a vaccine is contingent on a number of things. We know a lot about flu, so we're pretty good at coming out with a yearly flu vaccine. We've been very bad at coming out with a flu vaccine that lasts more than a year, but we've been pretty good at coming out with something that's helpful. Even at its best, flu vaccine is maybe 60 or 70% effective. And that counts on the fact that there's some partial immunity we have from past years anyway. When we have a novel vaccine, something that the human immune system has never seen before, and all bets are off, it's very, very difficult. You have to start from scratch. You have some evidence from what you've done in the past, but you know, with SARS and, and MERS, for example, but neither of those have a really effective vaccine either. So you have to kind of start from scratch, no immunity, and you have to confer all the immunity from the vaccine. And that makes it a little bit more difficult to do and you have to go through the efficacy and safety test that the FDA requires. Which they've loosened the requirements on. They have talked about loosening some of the requirements, but those are minor modifications. You still have to do safety and effectiveness testing on any product that the FDA looks at. What is the process in layman's terms of how they develop a vaccine? I mean, do we just take the strain and plop it in a Petri dish? Well, viruses are not grown in Petri dishes. It's grown on living tissue cells generally. But, uh, no, to, to do a vaccine, is you have to start with a genetic sequence of, of the virus itself. You have to look at uh, the molecular architecture of, of the virus and how the vaccine will fit into that architecture. We have some very, very sophisticated laboratory methodologies now that I don't do, so I'm just one of those people who reads about because I don't work in the laboratory. Doctor, how contagious is this virus? You know, we've heard it's one in four. I've heard one in three. You know, I've also heard of 50% of the population from, you know, Goldman Sachs. What does it all mean to us in real terms? Well, that is measured by something we called rr not the transmissibility factor. And that's how many people on the average are infected by a, a specific case, and that's an average. We're looking at an R-naught of about three in this case, which is fairly high, not as high as something like measles, but a little bit higher than, than influenza. So an R-naught of about three means about three on the average, but you could have somebody who we call a super spreader that might spread it to far more people than that. We're all reading a lot about this patient 31, that well, South Korea that seemed to be a super spreader? Right. Is that what the you're referring to? There are not for that person to be much higher. Why is that? We don't know why super spreaders exist. You know, they may just harbor a very, very large number of viruses in their body. They may just have some way to transmit it more readily that we just don't explain. It happened with SARS. There were super spreaders that were identified with SARS pretty readily. But it's otherwise, it's, uh, it's quite unusual. Doctor, do you feel that our government is doing enough? You know, they're uh, sending in the naval ships now to, you know, be on standby for the extra support. So when I see these things, in my mind, I'm figuring, okay, they are preparing for large numbers of patients because we still haven't peaked yet. What are your thoughts about that? Well, we are doing everything we can to prepare for large numbers of patients. We probably could have started this a little bit earlier with production of more respirators and ventilators. But the ships are, are, are basically each have 
1,000 bed capacity, and those are not all isolation beds. Those are 1,000 beds with some isolation beds. The ships are not ready yet. There's only two of them. They may, I think, have a role in lessening the burden on hospitals by taking patients that are not contagious, the trauma patients, the heart attack patients. Uh, I think that that's where they might have the best role, but it's going to be a while because they're both under maintenance and they don't have the crews ready. It takes a very large thousands of people crew to manage these people, man manage these ships, so they're not quite ready yet. But it's one thing that has been talked about. I have friends who, and maybe just because of the trendiness, especially at the time that I had my son, a lot of my friends are anti-vaxxers. Are their children at higher risk? Well, the anti-vaxxers are a big problem in, in my view. I think they are a very destructive force to society as but well as to them. specifically with this? Well, the only way that I think it relates to this is that those people are less likely to believe what authorities tell them to do in their own best interest. The fact that kids have been not been vaccinated for measles or mumps or rubella is not going to affect their immunity to this virus. Is there a possibility, and I was thinking about this last night just because I'm thinking of other epidemics, and I know you said it's not similar, but like a polio. Is there a chance that this virus can get into our water supply? No evidence of that at this point. But, it, it, but so at this point? Well, you, you can't disprove a negative. So, you know, right. anything is possible if you put it that way, but there is no evidence whatsoever to suggest that. Well, that's, that's at least a little bit of good news. You know what, Doctor, one last thing that I wanted to add. Um, I saw on the news earlier today that one of the first victims of the coronavirus came out of a medically induced coma today. Um, this is a good note and was able to, you know, tell his wife that he loves her. And, you know, I don't know how long his process was, but that's like the first case that we're hearing. We just need hope. You know, what are your thoughts? I, I, this is the first that I've heard that they're actually inducing medical comas um, to help the victim, I guess, to, you know, recover from this. Yeah, I, I, I read that report also, and I, I, I don't know exactly what that means. I'm, I'm not aware of medically induced comas having any therapeutic value here, so I don't know exactly what to make of that with very limited news coverage of what happened. Okay. What is the one piece of advice we should be walking away from speaking to you with? It's important to do social distancing as much as you possibly can. Um, I understand that it can't be done 100%, but as much as you possibly can. Those scenes of all those kids on the beach in Florida, I found just absolutely horrific. And if, if that's the attitude that our society has, then we're, we're just doomed. That's one thing I would emphasize is that we really have to observe social distancing as much as possible because it does work. The other thing is I would make sure that we wash our hands as much as we possibly can with soap for at least 20 seconds. So hand washing and social distancing are, in my mind, the most important things that, as a general rule that we should, we should be observing. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and for all of this information and some historical context. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye.